Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 140 with Gabriella Mirabelli. Gabriella has a world of insight when it comes to millennials and hiring them, slash me, slash us, uh, teaching them and studying them in her work as an entertainment and media executive person. So you're going to walk away learning one, critical distinctions for workplace motivation, two, behavioral insights from surveying 2,500 millennials, and three, what we can all learn from 18 to 24-year-olds. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items mentioned, drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep140. And right now there's something special happening at awesomeatyourjob.com. It is our one-year birthday here in April. And so to celebrate, I am giving out some presents and I'm asking for some of your insights. So namely... If you go to awesomeatyourjob.com slash survey, I've got a survey up there to learn all about you know your needs and wants to help mold the show. It's a bigger one. It'll take about 23 minutes, but you'll be handsomely rewarded with a $15 Amazon gift card. So that is available for the first 100 survey completions. The folks on the email list already took a big bite out of those, but there's still some left. So I hope to hear from you that way. There have already been some eye-popping insights and surprises, and I'm excited about making the show ever more optimal here in year two. So here's Gabriella's story. Gabriella Mirabelli is the executive director and co-owner of Anatomy Media, an entertainment marketing and promotion agency founded in the year 2000. They've worked with Discovery, FX, National Geographic, NBC, and USA Network to create trailers, TV spots, and marketing films. She also has a podcast up next where she talks about the next innovations in media. Here's Gabriella. Gabriella, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you. And I'd like to kick it off by hearing what's sort of behind your fascination with millennials? Well, I think really it has to do with being a bellwether for where things are going. And my interest started because... I think with the changes in technology, I looked at my children and saw how they were experiencing media just entirely differently from how people had been experiencing it for years, certainly how I was. And so when I looked at my clients and saw how they were kind of powering ahead, same old, I thought, you know, you really have to look at the early adopters, where they're going, what they're doing, because they're crafting the world for us. And I certainly learn about technology from young people, and it flows upward. People don't adopt old technology as they get old. You know, we aren't seeing elevator operators. We aren't using buggy whips. People are getting rid of landlines. They're not saying, oh, now I'm established. I must get a landline. You know, that just isn't the way it is. And people need to stop sort of hiding their heads in the sand and thinking that it's all going to return the way it was, because I just simply don't think that's true. Could you share then, you've surveyed about 2,500 millennials, and I'd love to hear what are some of the striking insights that have emerged from that? Sure. The purpose of the study, we looked at how young millennials consume media, and it really is young millennials. It's looking at the younger end of people because millennials is a 
definition is just a really broad chunk of people. So we looked at the younger, this 18 to 24 year old group. And some of the things that were really interesting to us was that two thirds of this population use ad blockers. 69% of them are pirating material and three out of five are sharing passwords. And 67% don't think there's anything wrong with any of these behaviors, especially the piracy piece. And that's really interesting for media companies, anything that's advertiser supported. The statistics, the studies matter at a big level for how does a network behave. But when we think about the job market and employment and millennials at work, I think that's where looking at this group as one big cohort really starts to fall apart. Because when you hire people, you're not hiring a cohort, you're hiring an individual. Agreed. Agreed. And it's so funny. I was chatting with Lee Caraher earlier on the show about millennials and how 72% of millennials, which I guess I am one, 33 and a half, don't like the word, the phrase millennial themselves and some of the associations are stereotypes. So it's great to hear you say that right up front. It's that, you know, we're not one monolithic force. It's everyone has their own sort of unique strengths, weaknesses, gifts, values, prejudices, all that stuff in the mix. And so any talk of millennials, quote unquote, is necessarily going to involve some generalization. And so I'd like to dig into the workplace stuff. But before I get too specific, could you share with me what kind of write-ups about millennials at work do you find to be on point versus just absurd? Well, you know, you see a lot of writing around how do we retain millennials? What do we do to, you know, this group is unengaged. It's sort of what this group needs and how we must contort ourselves as businesses to keep them. How do we find them? And I think the premise is flawed because I don't think, as you said earlier, I don't think that this group, this very large collection of individuals is full of rubbishy people. I just don't think that's true. <laughs> it's just not so. If you've hired people who are unmotivated and troublesome, then that's a problem with the recruiters selection. Mm -hmm. It is not the population, you know, and also I think that there's become a kind of a trend in the workplace, you know, work is work. Work isn't family. Work isn't friends. Work, you know, you may find friends at work, but the raison d'etre of work is not to create a social network for you. It's not why it exists. One of the things I think across the board is that people, what they look to for work to provide for them comes up short because it shouldn't be providing those things. You know, I guess it's sort of as an employer, as somebody who's worked in, you know, looking at workplace motivation and also looking at selecting people. I really think when you're dealing with workplace motivation, you can kill motivation in people, but I don't think it's very easy to engender motivation where none exists. If somebody is simply not a person who takes pride in their work, it doesn't matter how much, you know, leeway you give them, they're just not going to take pride in their work, not who they are. No matter how many ping pong tables or foosball stations oh. or nap pods, it's just not going to spark well, it. Well, and for goodness sake, <laughs> I mean, please, there are things that I think that by virtue of the new technology and the incredibly informal way that children and parents behave with one another. I think there are some things that are challenges in general for this population entering the workforce. And again, I would actually ping it younger than you. I would say it's really, it's the people who had smartphones growing up and whose 
parents really were those helicopter parents. And I don't put the burden on, they were created, their behaviors were reinforced, or they didn't learn how to do certain things on their own. You know, it's sort of an understanding of professionalism. It's almost like civility or manners, you know, how one behaves in the workplace. And it's a matter of teaching people things. And I think that rather than wringing our hands and worrying about how upset they'll get if we try to teach them, I think you can have a very frank conversation. Just because people don't know a certain standard of behavior doesn't mean they're emotionally fragile about being told about it. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think you sort of, as long as you address somebody and say, look, do not forward me emails from your father. I have hired you, not your dad, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, that's happened to me. I've had employees, young employees, fresh graduates, send me emails from their parent. Like what's the subject matter? What's the email have to say? It had to do with retirement, like 401k stuff. And I think the parent would have been horrified if they thought that their child was simply, <laughs> was simply forwarding it. And what it was, was their parent was giving good advice, was saying, your employer should be doing thus and so. You need to talk to them about this. And rather than internalizing that conversation, understanding the conversation that the parent was having with them and owning that conversation with me as a person who whose retirement was the point of the discussion, instead it was, you know, my dad wants you to do this. And it was a way to not be responsible. And I sort of had to, you know, sit the person down and say, look, you know, I've employed you and this is your job and you are a responsible person. So if you have a question, you digest it and you ask a question. I never have a problem with a question from you, but do not forward me questions from your parents. You know, understand your questions and ask your questions because your parents are not my employee. You are my employee. So that was that. (laughs) You know, the other thing is things with phones, being on the phone all the time. And that is something Adults have this problem as well. Older adult, of course, everybody's an adult. That's I mm-hmm. should back up. But certainly, if you're the most junior person in the room, you should not be sort of scanning through your phone and uh huh, uh huh. <laughs> you know, that just isn't going to fly. And that's a matter of a new technology which people don't necessarily understand. You know, when you're in a meeting, when you're at work, how to use your phone, what is the phone etiquette, and honestly. Some of the older folks don't either. You know, if what's more important to you is what's going on on your phone, then maybe you shouldn't be in the meeting. If everybody's on their phone, maybe the meeting shouldn't happen. You know, I mean, the distraction, people only have so much attention. And if you are giving your attention to your phone, you are not giving your attention to whatever else is going on. Okay, that's great. You know, could you keep them coming? Let's say, what are some other behaviors that kind of are a bit of a sticking spot in terms of, you know, intergenerationally that pop up and how should we respond on both sides? If I'm the millennial or if I am the older, wiser, uh, allegedly (laughs) party to the exchange? You know, I think there's kind of an impatience. Again, I think this is born from the way our attention spans, everybody's attention span has shrunk. I think now it's like that of a goldfish, you know, squirrel, our attention goes to something else. But the impatience then with career and what they're doing, you know, they've gone to school and they've learned something. And now they want, you know, let's say, especially in my industry, I'm in entertainment, entertainment marketing, and they want to do the creative stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, 
Sure. But, you know, of the creative stuff, about 99% of what you're doing when you're doing, quote unquote, the creative stuff is actually process and organization. And even the most creative person spends an inordinate amount of time doing the organizing and the process and the putting it all together so that then they can do that creative bit. And that allows them to be flexible and permutate different ideas. However, all that organization and learning how to do that organization, learning how to build that foundation is really critical. And you can't, I mean, it's the, you can't, you know, learn to walk before you run and the level of impatience and not wanting to do that boring work or yeah, 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 I understand it. Well, sometimes they don't, or sometimes it's just, you have to do it over time, a lot of time, and you actually learn through repetition. Understood. Yes. And so could you maybe bring to life a little bit some instances where you've seen some smart, creative innovation that responds to the changing you know, external circumstances? Like you're in entertainment and now there's a world of ad blockers and all this stuff that just sort of popped up. So how have you seen smart people do smart things to make good innovations happen? Well, I guess what I think is interesting and where I think certainly for me, I listen to the young millennials who work with me and I talk to them about how they're consuming media and why they're doing what they're doing and then what they like and what they don't like and what it means and why they think their peers are doing what they're doing. I really use them as resources. Okay, I love it. And so you offered a little bit of a staged process or how that can unfold in terms of ideas and inclusion and getting people together to have the conversation and chat about it. I think that curiosity notion is beautiful and fun. So could you maybe tell us a fun story or two of how you've seen some of these things come to life? And I guess really what I think when you're trying to solve any problem, you can only bring the tools that you of the knowledge you already have and you can recombine it, but that's what you bring. So that's your tool set. However, if you are genuinely curious, if when you go to those horrible networking events, which everybody has to go to and learn how to do and learn how to network. If when you're talking to people, you're not just going to collect business cards or something, but you decide, I'm going to learn things I didn't already know. And you make a point to, let's say, kind of interview people like, what is it that you do? What's the most interesting thing you do at your job? What do you love most about what you do? Why is that unique or special? What is it about your company that you love? What is it about your company that you hate? What is something that they could change that would make it better? You know, ask some of those kinds of questions and then file that away in your brain. And then you have a little bit of that knowledge, which you didn't have before, and you bring it into a problem that you may encounter, or you've met this other person and maybe down the pike, you'll run into somebody else and they have a solution which fits that person's problem and you connect those two people, you know? Uh So it's constantly looking at that stuff. Another question you had shot over was, you know, are there any experiments or studies or pieces of research, which I refer to frequently. And I thought, gosh, you know, I really go around with almost like Velcro mittens, like everything I see, I kind of like stick a little bit of it here, a little bit of it there, there. I love this data point or that insight. And I just file it away and then it becomes its own thing in my brain, you know, pieces from all these different sources. If I could ask, if you talked about creativity and organization, you're picking up a lot of things and you're filing them. What's your system for organizing those well? <laughs> I create little stone hinges all around me. I have stacks. No, it's a really, it's dreadful because I like paper. 
I'm a tactile person. I like real books because I can dog ear the pages and underline things. And I know that you can electronically dog ear things and electronically highlight things, but I really, there's something to me about the physical act of marking something up or cutting something up that helps put it in my mind better. I mean, like even the calendars, I have a million different calendar programs. I hate them all. I have, a whiteboard, I have a whiteboard behind me and I have different colored post-it notes and every job and every phase. That's what I do. And that way it's very tactile. I can move it around. I can see it. And something about the actual physical touching of it and moving it puts it into my mind. And that's just, again, different people, different ways. You have to find the way that sticks for you. I have notebooks where I write everything down, you know, I have started to use my phone a little bit that way for random thoughts. I put that in the notes section. It's huge. I can't ever back up my phone. So I'm kind of a Luddite, I guess. You know, embrace your Luddite, your inner Luddite. It feels like a hashtag if it maybe had fewer characters. <laughs> right, I know. You're just... <laughs> hashtag embrace your inner Luddite. <laughs> well, this is great. So now could you share with us a favorite quote? Ooh, yeah, I have one I really like. It's long, but I, I have it because I like it. <laughs> Sorry, redundant. It's Muhammad Ali. Impossible is just a big word thrown around by small men who find it easier to live in the world that they've been given than to explore the power they have to change it. Impossible is not a fact. It's an opinion. Impossible is not a declaration. It's a dare. Impossible is potential. Impossible is temporary. Impossible is nothing. Oh, thank you. And so you mentioned that you absorb a lot of studies. Are there any ones that really kind of have spoken to you or captured you recently? You know, no, I, I have one that I just printed out about the economics of the internet, which I'm excited to dive into. But no, and I'm also working on one, which will be really gripping, but I can't tell you anything about it yet. So, Oh, intriguing. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, and how about a favorite book? A business book or a book book? Let's do both. Ooh, okay. Well, a business book would be, and this is one I do go back to as well. It's scarcity. Why having so little means so much. Because I think that scarcity is really the thing of our time, scarcity of money, scarcity of time, scarcity of attention. And although the book revolves around economics of scarcity, it really, I think people, and the discussion was around the economics and how people seem to behave illogically, but there is a logic to when you're dealing with a scarcity sensation, the psychology of scarcity. And I think it applies to time and attention as well. So that's sort of a business book that I really like. And then the book book that I really like is The Night Circus. And it's just like a meal of words. The language is amazing and rich. And if you like somebody who really knows language, that's a great book. Okay, thank you. And how about, is there a particular tool that you find yourself using frequently that's been helpful for you? <laughs> paper and pens. <laughs> okay, is there a favorite paper or pen that really has a tactile punch? <laughs> There is, but I've, yeah, I have my favorite pens because they really roll nicely. But no, that's so sad. Oh, no. I've, we've talked <laughs> pens before. We had Chris Bailey. We spent a good three minutes talking pen brands and pros and cons. So feel free to drop it on us. Oh, no, I'm not going to. No, that's too <laughs> But white paper and yeah, the moleskin notebooks, I love those. Those are good. Yes. And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours that helps you be more awesome? Oh, exercise working out. And what type of exercise and when? Early, early morning, yoga or 
like machines or boxing. I really like boxing. And what would you say is your ideal contact information if folks want to learn more about what you're up to or see more stuff? Where would you point them? Probably LinkedIn. I have a profile on LinkedIn and that's sort of where everything would exist. There's also, I have a podcast, the Up Next podcast, where I talk to people who are doing really innovative things in media. And that's the upnextpodcast.com or my business, which is anatomymedia.com. And we are a marketing and promotions firm for entertainment brands. So we make the trailers that make you binge watch content. Oh, that's cool. And we never talked in much depth. The study that you did about millennials was for the book, Millennials at the Gate. Anything we should know about that right quick? No, I think we kind of covered it. It really is just really about their behaviors. And the one that's coming up is sort of diving in a, a bit more about the ability of millennials to know what parent network is the brand behind the program they watch. Oh, interesting. And the answer is they don't really, unless it's Netflix. Uh-huh. <laughs> so this will be sad for big networks, but what are you going to do? Times they are changing. I hear you. And do you have a final parting challenge or call to action for those seeking to be more awesome at their jobs? Be curious and work hard and change is incremental, but don't give up. Okay. Thank you. Well, Gabriella, this has been a real treat. Keep on doing the good work you're doing. Well, thank you so much for having me on. It's really been quite fun. I really like that humility associated with learning from everybody, including the new young folks. Once again, to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we referenced in the show, that's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep140. And for a limited time, Please, I'd love to get your feedback on that survey, awesomeatyourjob.com slash survey. And a handsome $15 Amazon gift card awaits you for your efforts. Thank you for investing that approximately 23 minutes in enriching the show for you and everyone who listens. It is much appreciated. And if you haven't already, push subscribe. I recommend you do. We have a real fun guest up next. It is Bob Berg, the author of The Go-Giver and a book I read years ago and I found pretty inspiring. So you're going to experience the same goodness associated with the perspective on being generous and giving value and how that's just great for everybody. So I hope to catch you then. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.